Welcome to the Eye on the Cure podcast, the podcast about winning the fight against retinal disease from the Foundation Fighting Blindness. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Eye on the Cure podcast. I am Ben Shaberman from the Foundation Fighting Blindness. I am your host, and I am very excited today to have as our guest, Katrina Taylor, and she is a jazz singer in the UK, and she also happens to have Stargardt disease, so that's why it's so appropriate to have her on Eye on the Cure. And Katrina recently came out with an album called Blind Passion, and it features her own original music, as well as covers of music by folks like Duke Ellington, Diane Schur, Stevie Wonder, and even The Doors, although I would say it's sort of The Doors via Jose Feliciano. And Katrina, you have a wonderful voice. I, I just want to put that out, out first. You know, in preparation for this interview, I listen to a lot of your music. And usually when I prepare for an interview, I'm reading about research or reading somebody's stories. But it was a lot of fun to just listen to your music. Quite a bit, uh, quite a bit from Blind Passion. So welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. That's really kind of you to say hi. Well, I learned about you through a fundraiser that the foundation had recently called Hope From Home. It was a virtual fundraiser to raise money for research. And I wanted to let you know, Katrina, that that event raised somewhere in the neighborhood of $450,000. So Thanks for helping make that event so successful. You you had a great performance. I was really excited to be part of that. I was, yeah, it was a real pleasure. Well, again, it was a pleasure to have you. And I, I just wanted to talk a little bit about your voice because in reading reviews and comments by other musicians, you're often um, referred to as having a sultry voice and a smooth voice, and I will definitely agree with those comments. But, but I think one of the things that stands out for me is when you sing, it seems so effortless and natural, and I think that's beautiful. And for me, the more I listened, the more I wanted to listen. So you sort of drew me in. And one of my favorite songs that you did on Blind Passion I, well, there are a couple. I loved My Cherie Amour by Stevie Wonder. That's sort of an iconic song from my youth. And then you really did a wonderful rendition of Leon Russell's Song for You, which really wasn't a huge hit, but I thought you really did a great interpretation of that song. Can you talk about, I guess, those two songs and, and what inspired you to put them on the album and then interpret those? Sure. So the album uh, concept was Blind Passion. And that was really where I decided that I was going to be much more open and kind of own my story about being partially sighted, visually impaired in a sighted world of artists. Um, it wasn't something that I had always um, talked about, really. But I just felt it was time in my life to start owning that a little more. So I selected some tracks from artists who either wrote the music themselves or performed the songs. And the songs you mention, uh, My Sharia Moore, I did a 
an arrangement of that and slowed it up. And I mean, what a beautiful song. I was actually thinking of my daughter when I chose that one because I have a four-year-old, well, she's nearly four, beautiful daughter. And that was really kind of, I had her in mind. And so I love delivering that song because it always makes me think of her. Um, and the Leon Russell, um, that was really the association with Ray Charles. He won a Grammy for his performance of that song. And uh, so that brought Ray Charles into the mix. And obviously the artists that I was celebrating on the album are blind or visually impaired themselves. And uh, hey, what better artists than those two? Well, well, thanks for giving me that explanation. I am, bar- I am embarrassed to admit that I didn't realize that was a Ray Charles song. I guess from my era, I remember it as a Leon Russell song, but um, that's, a, that's an interesting connection. And before we go further, I wanted to let our listeners know that you have sort of a unique spelling for your first name. It, Katrina is spelled K-A-T-R-I-O. N-A. So there's an O after the I. And I think you mentioned at some point that that's sort of Scottish inspired, that spelling? Yes. Thank you for telling everyone that, Ben, because otherwise, um, yeah, it might be a little bit harder to find me online. So it's a Katrina with a K and an O in the middle. And that's because in Scotland, my mum is Scottish, and um, in Scotland, you spell it differently with a C, but my dad insisted on a K. So I got the K and the O in my name. Well, it's unique and it's beautiful. So wonderful name. I, I want to get back to the music, but I wanted to give our listeners a little bit of background on your retinal condition. And I read that you were diagnosed with Stargardt disease at the age of seven. And Stargardt disease can have a wide range of severity, and seven is pretty early. I'm just curious how that impacted you as a child and growing up to to have that early diagnosis, and I presume some significant vision loss. Yeah, um, I didn't know any different. I wasn't seeing as well as my brother and sister and my parents started to notice I also was complaining at school that I couldn't read the board properly. And so we went to try and get a diagnosis. And actually, the first ophthalmologist we saw, they kind of said, oh, she's a hysterical child and she hasn't got any problems. So my parents took me away with this you know, information. And as we walked out of the um, uh, the ophthalmologists, my mum pointed out a sign across the road and said, can you read that road sign? And I said, no, I can't read the road sign. So they kind of like watched me for a while and just thought, no, this is not, something's not right. And uh, took me back to see other people until finally we had that diagnosis. So that part of it in itself was quite a struggle, not, it not being recognized straight away. Um, and then, of course, when it was recognized and I was given the diagnosis, I was told in very sort of uh, stern and formal terms that it was going to be a fairly difficult life with uh, no vision, maybe blind by the time I was 21, and um, that I wouldn't be able to do various things. That was quite challenging to hear. Even at seven, I mean, I didn't really understand what it meant, but I saw how it impacted on my mother. She was very upset, crying. And uh, yeah, so I mean, 
the thing about my parents, which I really admire them for, um, is they they gave me quite tough love in a way. They just let me keep going and they kept me in mainstream schools. I guess in a way I was uh, treated almost like, you know, I didn't really have that disability, which whilst it was very challenging, it stood me in relatively good stead in terms of my determination to kind of succeed in life. And your father at that time was a really accomplished tennis professional, renowned throughout the world for his tennis skills, Roger Taylor. And what was that like having a tennis pro as the father, which most people don't have? Uh, yeah, I mean, that was, um, again, I didn't really know any different. So we traveled a lot when I was young, very young, and he was often on tour. But it was very much that we were sort of involved in tennis as youngsters, you know, on a tennis court or watching tennis. And that was quite difficult as well without being able to have a full sight and being able to participate properly playing tennis because it was expected of us that we would um, play. My father got to the semifinals of Wimbledon three times. He was number one in Britain and um, and he also won Grand Slam doubles in America. I don't have his uh, record off off the top of my head, but... um, he was a very, very serious tennis player. So obviously, you know, friends that came to the house, everything was kind of associated with that game. Right. And obviously, our, our listeners can Google Roger Taylor and tennis, and I think they can get his history. Going back to you, you know, at first, the doctors are telling you and your parents that you're hysterical. That's, that's not the best messaging to get when, when you're having trouble with your vision. But then when they really did figure out that your vision was in fact the issue, obviously you were told life would be a struggle, but ultimately you've accomplished a lot. And I guess earlier in your adult life, you were a London city solicitor and solicitor in the UK is the same as a lawyer here in the US. We don't use the term solicitor. Was that a difficult journey to become a solicitor? That's not an easy career path, especially for somebody with vision loss. I was uh, guided towards that by this great guy who was actually called Sir John Wall, who, uh, yeah, he was given uh, a knighthood for his uh, work as a high court judge. Um, I was introduced to him early on and I went to um, work with him and I just saw how amazing he was. He was fully blind. I thought, well, yeah, this is this is achievable. Uh, it was hard work. There's a lot of exams and a lot of years of uh, study for becoming a lawyer. But I, I was always very determined once I decided that I was going to do something. Um, I studied at university uh, for four years and then I went to law school and um, I, I was very lucky at law school because that was the first time in my kind of educational life where I guess the, the educational institution were quite helpful. You know, they really were much more supportive. I hadn't really had a lot of support um, from the schools and from the universities. But at that stage, the chair of the university had a daughter himself who was deaf. And so he was quite open and helpful. And I got my distinction which was great. That set me up nicely. And um, when I was looking for job offers, I was lucky. I got 
couple of offers and I was able to start working in in the city of London, which is very difficult to get into generally. So I was really pleased. Well, that is quite an accomplishment. Now, did you practice a certain type of law or is a city solicitor more of a generalist? No, I was a specialist. My specialty was e-commerce law and intellectual property law. So um, I was looking at like copyright, ownership and patents and branding and all those kind of things in the context of contracts on e-commerce. Well, that's a really important <laughs> important topic these days with the advent of so much technology and electronic content. Did you enjoy that? Was that pretty exciting for you? I really did enjoy it. And um, the way that it works in the UK is we have two years of what is called, um, it used to be called article clerks. Now it's called a training contract, but it's basically a period where you qualify as a lawyer. And it's a really tough period because there's usually, you know, like a group of young lawyers and they're all competing against each other to try and get a job because there's never as many jobs as there are people competing for them. So that was like another period where you had to prove yourself as being, uh, you know, good at what you did. And then I was offered a job and I went into that area, intellectual property, um, because it, it, I found it really exciting. And I worked for a, a while in that area, but I, I very quickly kind of realized that the work was going to be relatively repetitive. Um, and I just, I got to the stage in my life where I thought, I've only got one life here and uh, I think I want to be something different. And so I, I started to work towards becoming a professional singer and I changed my career. That's quite a change from solicitor to singer. Now, did you know that you had some vocal talent? You, you must have realized that early on in your life, I, I would imagine. I had done singing when I was very young um, and I had done a lot of sport for obvious reasons um, during my teenage years and stuff like that. I was still quite athletic and trying to do those sports. But I think it was a leap of faith, really, that the um, desire to sing was there. And I guess I went about changing like a lawyer would. You know, I did my research, I did my homework, and then I started uh, working really hard towards training my voice and training my musicianship and learning about instruments. And I always believed that I could songwrite, and that was really a driving force for me. I wanted to songwrite. And fortunately, over the years, I've discovered that I can do that and I still get a lot of pleasure from it. Well, in addition to the covers on Blind Passion, your, your own songs are quite good. And we're going to take a moment in the podcast to have our listeners listen to one of the songs that you wrote. It's called in the name of love. So we're going to listen to a short clip. And then at the end of the podcast, we're going to play the full song so people can appreciate the, the complete work. So here is In the Name of Love by Katrina Taylor.
You close your eyes and remember how it used to feel You hold your breath and hope it doesn't fade away Cause that's the price you pay When you feel love, you feel pain So Katrina, what inspired that song? That that song for me has a lot of emotion and it's a little dark. There's a little pain there. Are you able to reveal what what inspired you to write that? So the song is really about the end of a relationship, which we've all experienced, right? And it's kind of just talking about that proximity between all the good things that come with love, but all the hurt that can come with it too. And uh, yeah, so that's what that song was about. I think when you're songwriting, you have all those facets, you know, you have all those things to draw from, all your happy experiences, sure, but also some of the things that have gone wrong in life. Yes. And I, I felt like the song is very honest and it gets back to some of the comments that I made earlier about your voice. There's, there's an effortlessness to your voice and that a natural aspect to your voice that at least for me draws me in. I, the, I don't feel like you have any affects or you're trying to do something all that fancy or special. And I feel that that's very effective for interpreting the songs that you interpret and also for the ones you've written, like In the Name of Love. So over the years, who have been your biggest musical inspirations? Wow. Um, so many. I have very eclectic tastes. I like all kinds of music. Um, the music I perform is mainly jazz, Latin and soul. Um, but even that just covers, you know, a huge range of people. I'm very lucky. I've, I've actually recently with the album been reviewed and likened to Dinah Kroll and Nina Simone and Sade and an artist you may not know in the States, but Beverly Craven and Eva Cassidy. So I think that kind of gives you a range of the kind of people that I find inspirational because each of those artists um, I'd be very proud to be associated with. Yeah. And um, I was also lucky enough to work with George Benson and, oh, wow, he's a great singer. I'm very inspired by him. He's a consummate professional and after decades of working in the music business, is still very passionate about what he does. And that's inspirational. That is really cool. And growing up in the 70s, as I did, I heard a lot of George Benson. One of my favorite songs that he does, it's a cover of the Jefferson Airplane song, White Rabbit. And I love his interpretation of that song. I like the Jefferson Airplane version as well, but he really adds a unique twist to it. So what exactly did you do with George Benson? What songs did you tour with him? I was invited to um, go on a European tour with him and I opened the show on that tour. So that was just luck. Sometimes in music, there's luck involved. And uh, I was very excited at the prospect. I mean, it was amazing for me to have come from lawyer to singer and then to really kind of find my own voice, find my own writing style, and then have that opportunity. So yeah, it was amazing for me. That is really cool. 
Did you have the opportunity to sing and play together? I didn't play with him directly, but I did. Uh, I saw a lot of those sound checks where the guys are just messing okay. around. And, you know, they're playing like a Paul Young song and then they're practicing something else. And yeah, that even just that experience was amazing. I'm sure it was. And obviously that's a very memorable gig. Are there other performances or gigs you have that particularly stick out that are particularly memorable for you? I've had um, um, probably hundreds, thousands nearly um, of gigs and each one has its own kind of uh, special thing going on. Sometimes I might be performing to some people who are quite influential. Um, I do remember having one show where I, I knew that David Essex and Jeff Wayne were in the audience so that was, yeah, that was like, okay, there's two really serious music people here. Um, that was nice. And uh, also, I mean, there's been shows where there's a lot of celebrities in the audience and, and royalty as well. So um, it's like you have to be on your top game for those. I'm sure. I'm sure there's a little, a little pressure. As someone with vision impairment, is it tough to be on stage and perhaps not be able to see all of the audience or a big chunk of the audience? I find the myself that when I'm performing, I very much go into a part of myself where although I'm aware of the audience and I'm looking at them and I'm visually impaired so I can see some of the audience, I'm not fully blind. I just find that when you're actually in that zone, you're probably not really thinking about those things. You're just delivering what you have to give to people and um, hoping that they are receiving it, you know, on an emotional level as much as anything, because that's part of the the job of the singer, isn't it? To take somebody away from their lives, escape and, uh, you know, have a an experience that's quite emotional. Certainly. And I have to say, uh- I have never seen you perform live, and maybe I'll have that honor and privilege someday, especially if I make it over to the UK, I'll look you up. But watching you virtually as I have, and having listened to you on my home sound system, I feel like you have such great presence. So your vision loss, I don't think really impacts your presence at all. Maybe if anything, it boosts it. I I don't know if that's possible. But um, I really appreciate the connection you make with the audience. I think it's very strong, at least again, for me, it has been. So you've just had this album out, Blind Passion. I, I presume you're still busy promoting that. Are you, are you doing concerts right now? Yeah, we're doing concerts in the UK. Yeah. Everything is starting to very much reopen. I mean, the music business has been massively impacted by the pandemic and it's still having ramifications here with audience numbers with places like some places have had to close down because they just couldn't survive the couple of years we've had um festivals have been put on hold and all kinds of things but things are starting to um get back to normal to some extent here and yes i've been doing uh, lots of shows recently so that's been great. I'm actually um, playing at Ronnie Scott's later this year. So I'm very excited about that. 
That's great. And I'm sorry, who is Ronnie Scott? So in the UK, Ronnie Scott is, uh, it's like the top venue here, really. It's, um, it's a jazz club and Ronnie Scott was a saxophonist. And uh, yeah, he was uh, a guy who opened a club like about 50 years ago and it's just got bigger and bigger over the years. Very cool. Well, congratulations. Yeah, things here in the US are starting to open up. And uh, a friend and I recently got tickets for one of your UK brethren, Paul McCartney. He's still touring, if you can believe that. So we're hopefully going to see him in June. And I, I too have missed live music quite a bit. So Katrina, this has been wonderful. I'm so pleased we had a chance to hear your story and hear about your music and the journey to becoming a singer. And thank you just for taking time out of your evening to join us. Thank you, Ben. Yeah, real pleasure to talk to you. Again, a pleasure here. And listeners, don't go away because um, we are now going to play the full version of Katrina's original song, In the Name of Love. So enjoy. And thanks again, as always, for listening. Should not be broken 
This has been Eye on the Cure. To help us win the fight, please donate at foundationfightingblindness.org.